On the third Thursday of every month, pastors and church leaders from near and far gather together for a time of friendship, gospel encouragement, and ministry insights in the warehouse at the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. The following is from one such third Thursday gathering. I've uh, met a number of people that I have connections with. Cole Huffman, yeah, hired a guy that I hired back in the early 2000s, and you're welcome for all the work I put into him so you could hire him. Um, Ken Bohr, uh, what's the name of the church in Memphis? First Evangelical Press. Yep. Uh, no, it's not Press. First Evangelical. Okay, but that's changed. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm here with David Zimmer, my right-hand man, uh, who's just one of my dearest friends, and we drove down together, and uh, people kept saying, so you just drove down today, and you're driving back? And I said, yeah, but we get to hang out for six hours, so uh, that's always fun. We do a podcast together, Sound Plus Doctrine, and we have to come up with stuff to talk about, so I figured maybe something will come out on the ride to or from. Nothing's happened yet, so we got to plan something on the way back. Um, I would like to know, it is a real joy to be here, and I'd like to know, like, w- w- how many, like... Um, Pastors, do we have here? Is this is this a pastor's luncheon? I can't, of course, I'm quite sure. And then, how many of you lead music in your church? Okay, great. And how many of you are just here because you there's a free lunch and you just thought, okay, great, excellent. <laughs> um, yeah, I I've been. Uh, thank you for coming. Uh, I have been praying for this. And really wanted to serve you well. And when uh, I was sad that Jeremy couldn't be here, I think he's taking his daughter to college or something. Um, Jeremy and I met five, six years ago and um, just had a great conversation with Jordan Anderson, who used to be here. I still keep in touch with Jordan. And um, uh, just Jeremy said, You want to come and share with some pastors? And I said, Yeah, sure. And uh, so here we are. And I gave him a few topics, and we landed on this one, Pastoring Through Song, which I think is something that uh, we're not very good at. Uh, You know, when you think of what happens when people sing, like, what do you think of? You know, even when you sing, like with the church, like when you think, what's going on here? You know, what... I mean, what do we think of? We think of, like, I'd just be curious what you think of <laughs> before I give you answers. What's going on when people are singing? Is everybody just trying to have a God experience? Goosebumps? Is it uh, just time of edification? Time of, uh, I don't know, admiring how great the drummers are? That's what David's always telling me. The drummers are the centerpiece of... What's going on? Jordan, I know you'd agree with that. Um, yeah, we do it every week, don't we? Like every single week, churches sing. And how many of you sing uh, more than three songs on a Sunday? Okay. Yeah, so there's a lot of singing going on. So, like, what is going on? And how do you tell if it's a good service or not? How do you tell if the singing's good? They sing loud? I've seen a lot of loud singing happening when it wasn't that really much to get excited about, <laughs> but the singing was really loud. So loud singing in itself is not a sign that, that good things are happening. Most importantly, I think we want to ask, like, what does God intend to accomplish through our singing? And what can those who lead the meeting do to, to move things towards that end, towards those ends? So, you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Um, I've been ministry, some kind of ministry, 45 years, and I've uh, been a pastor for 37. I've been uh, head of Sovereign Grace Music for, oh, you could say, you know, 25 years. Um, but when I first got to my job, I called myself the director of worship development, which I don't even know why I called myself that. But that's what I was called. And, and I set to studying, because CJ Mahaney, who I serve with in Louisville, uh, Sovereign Grace Church in Louisville, 
Um, he was my pastor at that time in Maryland, and uh, he said, hey, I want you to read some books. So I started reading some books. One of them was Engaging with God by David Peterson. And I realized I don't know a thing about what I'm doing. Uh, and I realized that worship was far beyond the musical experience we have every Sunday. Uh, but as I began to have that conviction more deeply, I realized I better figure out a reason why we sing. Like if worship is everything, then I'm out of a job. Because I'm not just director of everything development. No, it's, it has to do with the music. So, so I started asking myself, why do we sing? Why do we sing? And that led to some of the things I'm going to share with you today about why do we sing? And what are we doing as leaders uh, to, to help people uh, benefit from that time of singing? So I, I think a lot of people, since the audience participation didn't go that well, I think <laughs> a, a lot of people, when they come in, they're just thinking, my job here, like as we sing it, or as we're singing it, is to just express my heart to the Lord. And a lot of songs are written towards that end. Uh, you know, we, we are passionate. And that's how you measure, is, has this been good? It's passionate. And if it's not passionate, then it wasn't very good. And so th that's kind of our measure. Um, you know, to have an encounter with God, like, because we're, we're playing music, you know, you've got the right musical elements, so we're going to encounter God. Maybe. Uh, th this is what I've what I realized early on, and have just continued to grow in an understanding of, is that when we lead people in song, we have an opportunity to pastor their souls. That's what we're doing. We have an opportunity to shepherd the people in front of us. Uh, most leaders that I see and observe, don't seem to be aware of that. It would be a combination of how do I sound? How do I look? How do we sound? Um, how do things look? Um, yeah, just those, those, those are the things that they're thinking about. Uh, are, are things connected? Everything flowing smoothly? And if everything flows smoothly... I, I think the Lord is, I don't want to say I think, the Lord is interested in those songs enabling the word of Christ to dwell in people richly. Yes. Colossians 3.16, which is the gospel. And I, I would imagine that all of you, if not most of you, most of you, if not all of you, come from churches where you would say yes and amen. We are about the gospel. The word of Christ is the gospel. The word of Christ is the good news that Jesus took on our flesh so that he could live a perfect life so that he could bear the weight of our sin and the punishment that we deserved and then be raised from the dead and ascend to his Father's right hand, reigning and interceding for us and is one day returning to reclaim the bride, to claim the bride that he redeemed where we'll spend eternity with him forever. It's the best story, and it's what we gather to celebrate every week. And so our singing has meant that truth, that reality, to dwell in people richly. Well, that's what pastoring is. Pastoring is helping people understand what effect the gospel has on their lives, what, what, what it is, how it's relevant, and why it matters. And that's pastoring. So when you, you, I don't think you have to be a pastor to, to lead the music in the church, I think it's most effectively led by a pastor um, because you're pastoring. You know, at some point, you should be pastoring. You should be caring for the people in your church and directing their eyes to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And what, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one to give glory to the next. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's what's happening when we sing. We're beholding the glory of the Lord. Where are we beholding the glory of the Lord? In the leader? No. In the instruments? No. In the music? No. In the Word of God. That's where we're beholding the glory of the Lord. 
Now, now that's being interpreted by the songs we sing, but that's another good reason to involve, include a lot of the word of God in your singing, because that's what fuels the passion, the fire that we're supposed to be experiencing. It's got to have doctrinal fuel in it. That's going to come from your lyrics and from the word of God. So I'm getting off here. I'm trying to do this more extemporaneously uh, so that this is more of a conversation than me just reading my notes. Because I've taught this like, I don't know, 50 times, and I, I just want to do it in a way that's like, yeah, relevant for you guys. Um, that means something for you guys. You, you look in the New Testament, there are five things a pastor basically does. They feed, they lead, they care for, they protect, and they're an example. Um, you know, the scriptures for that are First uh, Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That's uh, one and two. Um, 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, be ready in season, uh, exhort, exhort with complete patience in teaching. And then uh, what Paul says in Acts 20, 28 and 29 to the Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourselves, that's being an example, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, that's leading, to care for the church of God, that's caring, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That's the whole protection side. So what I've done is taken those five um, parts of the job description of a pastor, and I want to talk to you about how, like when we're singing, we can, we can do those things. So we're going to start with feeding, and then go into leading, caring for, protecting, and being an example. And whether... Uh, you know, whether the pastor is involved in the singing or not, they should be conscious that this is what's happening during our time of singing. You know, too many pastors say, well, I'm not musical, so uh, I can't be involved in this. That's ridiculous. Music, um, worship in the church is more, I said, I mean, music, ah, how do I want to say this? Worship in the church is more of a pastoral function before it's a musical one. So if you're a pastor, if you know the Lord, if you have a leadership gift, you know the word of God, you've been transformed by the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to lead the corporate worship of your church. You don't have to have a musical bone in your body. Now, CJ is the guy who I have learned most from about leading congregation worship. He does definitely, definitely does not have a musical bone in his body. <laughs> he has a loud, untrained male voice. That's, that's what he has. And uh, you can hear it. But you know what? That loud, untrained male voice uh, inspired me for years because I, know, I, I knew this guy's engaged. This guy is like thinking about what he's singing about. I'm being helped by the things he's saying. This is, and he, what is he doing? Well, he's concentrating on the word of Christ dwelling in richly and, and affecting others around him. So as leaders, we're thinking, we need to be thinking, okay, how, how can I, what can I do to pastorally shepherd these people in front of me as we're singing these songs. Okay, first thing we can do is feed them with the words of the songs, meaning we better know the words to our songs. And we better know why we're choosing the songs we sing. David and I plan the Sundays every week with a couple other guys. And, uh, you know, we'll spend 15 minutes talking about whether one song would be better than another song um, because of what the song says. It's not just, uh, is it in the same key? Or is it the same tempo? Or is it in a good range for my voice? Or uh, does, does the congregation seem to get off on it? It's, is this what we should be saying right now? Because every song we sing is saying something. And it's talking about our relationship with God. It's talking about who God is. And it's... It's not only talking about those things, talking about who we are. It's talking about the way we say those things. So if you, if you are in a church, if your church is always doing, oh, top 40 songs about God, and that's, that's what they are, they're, you know, songs, everybody's doing them, so we got to do them, then people's view of God is, you know, God's a top 40 God, you know? I, I do the songs, I like to sing about them, and, you know, I mean, I used to listen to Top 40 Radio growing up. They, they, you, they, played, they told you what, uh, what you're gonna listen to. 
you didn't go far beyond that. They told you what was important, and that's what you're saying. And it was important because everybody liked it. And God's just bigger than that. Yeah. He's bigger than a three-minute pop song. He's bigger than, you know, our particular genre of whatever we sing. He's bigger than hymns. Uh, he's big. So we need to be asking, are the words to the songs we're singing communicating that? I think, how many of you read Worship Matters? You probably forgot most of it. All right, I'm, it doesn't matter. I'm going to say stuff uh, that's in there. Uh, you know, if you, if, if the only theology your church had was the songs you sing, how well would they know God? Would they know him as a trinity? Would they, would they know the details of, of substitution, substitutionary atonement? Would they know who we are in Christ? Would they know how to process uh, fights against sin? Would they know how to process um, despair? Would they know how to process defeat and discouragement and uh, lack of uh, finances? Do our songs walk people through those in some ways? Not specifically, you know, I have no money, Lord, help me out. But... <laughs> But do they speak to, okay, the Lord knows we're in that condition, and he's able to uh, he meet us in that condition because of what Jesus Christ has done? Do we, do we give people that assurance? Do we help them know that, yes, the Lord sees us in our need, he hears our cries, and he is sufficient for all of it? That's what our songs need to do. Um, so... There's this balance between objective truths about God and subjective response. You know, if, if we major on the objective truths, and I would be prone to this, you know, just say a lot of true things about God. Saying a lot of true things about God doesn't mean I'm affected by them. doesn't mean I understand them. doesn't mean I'm engaging with them at all. It just means that I'm orthodox in my singing, that I'm theologically correct. God wants more Jesus didn't come to make theologically correct people. He didn't come and die and rise from the dead so we could be theologically correct. He, well, although being theologically correct is really important. <laughs> but that's not why he came. He came so that we could know the Father. And yes, we need to have right theology to know the Father. I was just reading a quote by a pastor who said, yeah, the important thing is not that you know, the 66 ancient books are inerrant, it's that we know Jesus. I'm saying, well, how can you know Jesus without thinking that the 66 books are inerrant? I don't know where you're going with that, uh, because then Jesus becomes whoever we want him to be, so that there's no contradiction there. We don't have to put, pit those against each other. We, we, there are objective truths that God has revealed about himself to us in his word that we can know no other way. And so we want to teach our people through our singing, through the word, what those objective truths are. So just as a pastor would think about you know, the, the, the sermon and how, how am I going to communicate these truths to people? Those who are choosing the song should be thinking about, okay, how do we communicate this truth? How do we make, how do we say this in the right way? You know, there are a lot of songs that talk about similar things, but they say, say them in different ways. Um, you know, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, it's a great hymn uh, about the cross, but it says nothing about substitutionary atonement. It says nothing about how, what actually happened at the cross. It, it's an expression of devotion and love and uh, towards the Lord and his love for us, but it doesn't give any details. So we can, we can kind of be hoodwinked into singing songs we think are about something, but when we really examine the words, we realize, oh, I guess it's not about that. So I would just encourage you, if you don't already, to link your songs and scriptures and prayers um, theologically, like, why are we saying this now? Why are we, would we say this? But I'm getting to the next point, actually, leading. So objective truths, um, that's one part of it. The other side of it is subjective response. Uh, if, if there's no objective truth, you're just focused on subjective response, we end up worshiping our worship. And we, we end up thinking that the, the meter of how well we've done is, you know, just how passionate and engaged everybody was. You know, sometimes singing to the Lord makes you quiet. It just, it brings you to tears. It, it makes you want to just reflect. And, you know, it's just, it's just not all about, you know, on 10 all the time. 
Now, I used to think that. I used to think, you know, you come into the meeting, you start up here for two songs, and then you go, you're right here for one song, and then you're here for two songs. And that, that was like the liturgy. Uh, yeah, we did it every single Sunday. And it, it wasn't until many years later that I realized the Lord just isn't jumping up and down all the time. And he doesn't want us jumping up and down all the time. There, there are highs and lows. And what he wants us to do is to know him and then interpret everything through that. Yeah, the, the joys will be a deeper joy. We'll be able to feel grief more deeply because we know there's a deeper joy even still. It's not shallow. It's, it's, it's profound. So we don't want to be just subjective, but we do need a subjective element um, because... <laughs> because we need to know how to relate to God. How, what, wh- how do we relate to God? You know, we used to call our, our meetings Sunday celebrations. And then we, it is a celebration, but then it, what do you say to the person who just had a stillborn child on Friday? Come and celebrate with us! You know, Job fell to the ground after he heard that he lost his children. He says he fell to the ground and worshiped wasn't excited, wasn't celebratory. It was just real, and it was true. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. And, of course, the longer you are in ministry, the more you see that kind of stuff. I mean, just this past week, I had a friend in Vancouver whose child was stillborn, had a friend in Atlanta whose husband of two years committed suicide, hung himself. And uh, another friend in Charlotte, their uh, 21-year-old son, OD'd. That was just a couple days. And I just thought, this is a broken world. And you feel the heaviness, you feel the weight. And yeah, the, the right song at that moment isn't, uh, you know, I can't think of it right now. Think of old, like, charismatic courses. <laughs> Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart, from the castle of my heart. <clears throat> but we have similar songs. Just not that bad. Um, so our songs are going to teach people how to relate to God. So, and, and they tend to form a culture over time. Shallow, repetitive songs can communicate that God is easy to know and thinks just like us. And that's not true. He, he's easy to know because he's revealed himself to us, but he's not easy to know in the sense that his greatness is unsearchable and we will never reach the end of his greatness. And he certainly doesn't think like us. Uh, on the other hand, doctrinally thick, difficult songs to sing can communicate that God is only interested in relating to educated people. So, so we, you know, we can think, again, it's, it's that idolatry of orthodoxy which is subtle. Oh, it's so subtle. You know, Jesus said, unless you become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And little children, I got a bunch of grandkids, and uh, they aren't walking around going, hey, look what I know, look what I know, look what I know. You know, they're just being children. They need things, they, they want things, they have fun, they seem to have a lot of fun, and uh, they're just very dependent. And so in our orthodoxy, which is absolutely essential. We, we want to make sure that we never make that the basis of our relationship with God. So, you know, that it, if we don't, it can lead to the more complicated song, the more closer to God we feel. And, and I should be able to sing very simple songs that are true and, and know if they're true, uh, I can be affected by that. Um, Emotionally driven songs teach us that God is more interested in our feelings and our minds. And emotionally dry songs that never allow for expression teach us that God isn't that interested in what we feel and desire. And he is very much interested in what we feel and desire. You know, in the Old Testament, the, the big category is idolatry. In the New Testament, the big category is sinful desires. They're, they're related. They're connected. So songs should teach that there's a time for bowing down and a time for celebrating. Both. 
you know, and it's all dependent on the content. What are we talking about? What are we saying? What are we singing? There's a time for repentance and a time for rejoicing. And we want to help people with, with all of those. So that's, that's the, oh my, the, uh, yeah, teaching. Songs teach. People will remember the, your songs. They hopefully remember something of the sermon. But it's just not a guarantee. And it's unlikely that they'll remember too much of the sermon. We don't go around just repeating sermons over and over and over. Maybe lines, but songs, you got the whole thing right there. So it is really important that we pastor people through the words of the songs we sing. Most churches, okay, take, take, do the math. Five songs a Sunday is what we do. 250, 260 songs a year. All right, at least half of those we've repeated. That's 130 songs. Well, some we do more than twice. So we did like 106 songs last year in our church. That's not very many songs. I better make all of them count. That's all I'm saying. If you want to pastor your people well, make your songs count. Don't do a song because it's popular. Don't do a song, be, and I think, I think most of you will be there. Don't do a song because I like it. No, do a song because it's the right song. And it's going to speak to people in the way they need to be spoken to. It's going to give them the words to say that they need to say at that, at that point. All right, uh, we, can lead the, we can lead the flock, okay? The first part is teach the flock. We can lead the flock through singing. I just uh, did a conference. Uh, we had a conference, Worship God conference, which I encourage you to come to in 2024. It's every other year. Um, have a great time. It's just a great time. But I did a session on, session on minding the gaps, making the most, uh, I think it's called maximizing your transitions, something like that. This is, this is what I'm talking about here leading the flock while they're singing. So I can do a song with no leading. So let's say, you guys know In Christ Alone? In Christ Alone. Why don't we sing this together? My hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. His cornerstone, his solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the power of Christ I see. Is that here in the power or here in the love? What is it? think it's both right there <laughs> I think it's power is it power in the then first verse see isn't that terrible that we don't know what is it all right so we just sang it third Thursday I guess that's what the mean you're in the love of Christ okay good all right now I'm going to lead through it. Now this is just one way to lead through it, okay? Let's sing in Christ alone. In Christ alone. No one else. He is my light, my strength. He's our rock. Never moves. Every storm. Heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears, no more fear, striving It's your comfort. Everything you need. His love. So just little words, just little phrases, just saying, you know what? These words mean something. Like we're actually saying something. And so often we're singing, and we're not thinking that. We're thinking, huh, I wonder what that font is that they use up there. <laughs> or why didn't the projectionist, like, why doesn't they get up, like, sooner so you can sing? Or, you know, boy, that person behind me is singing so loud and whatever. But we're not thinking, you know what? We've just said these amazing truths, and they went whoop. 
So that's what leading does. So you can lead during the song. Did that make a difference? Yes. Yeah, okay. So I, again, you can overdo it. If, if I've, I've done these albums, um, I and 10,000 other guys, um, to, together for the gospel. So there are four of them. If you listen to the first one, I say a lot of stuff. And if you listen to the fourth one, not near as much. Just, I was told to tone it down. But also, <laughs> I listen to myself and I realize, you know what? You're just saying too much. Um, it's not about what I feel. It's about what I think are gonna help, is going to help people think about these words. That's leading. You can lead by how you set up a song. I was just in um, Mexico, and wonderful conference called Fieles de Siomalo, Faithful to His Call, and it was just 400 pastors and wives, and it was just, it was just fantastic. Um, and uh, we were, you know, we'd start with, like, scripture, and then we'd sing a couple songs, then we'd, we'd read another scripture, explain it, talk about it, sing a few more songs. And uh, one of the pastors said, this is amazing. I've never seen this. This is like a way to sing. Like it's just setting people up for the word. Like they're, they're, they're thinking about what they're singing and you know, they're tying it to the word. It's like, it was like a, you know, discovering the wheel or something. It was, it was just, he had never thought about doing that because singing wasn't a time to lead. It was just a time to sing. Oh, no, it's a time to lead. It's a time to, people, to help people see what we're doing is rooted in the word of God. God speaks to us before we speak to him. And you should put your songs together in such a way that you don't have to say something between every single song. Uh, there is a reason. Uh, there is a different effect when you sing two songs in a row. And those songs connect. Um, uh, yeah, I've seen something said between every single song and then nothing said. And I think the best, of, to take the best of both those worlds <laughs> and put them together and lead people, help them understand this is what these songs are about. That's why you don't have to be musical, musical to be able to lead the congregational worship of your church because you are telling them to focus on what we're singing, on what we're saying. Um, you know, so it's the difference between this, this, these kind of transitions, as I'm written down here. This, uh, we're going to sing hymn number 46. Let's stand and sing hymn number 46. Let's, sing, let's stand and sing in Christ alone. Okay. You know, or we just heard about our great need for salvation, how God provided for us in Jesus Christ, who is our only hope. Nothing else in this world can be depended on to save us from the wrath of God except Jesus Christ. Let's lift our hearts and our voices to praise him. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Like what they're going to sing right then should be provoked by what I just said. And so often those interludes are, oh my gosh, they're, they're just a number of things. You know, you have the gusher. Oh, I just, Jesus, we love you so much, Lord. We're just, we're just so grateful. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're just, oh, God, Father, we thank you. Just so, just so, amen, amen, Lord. Just, just make your presence known, Lord, among us, Lord. Glorify yourself, Lord. We just praise you so much, Jesus. We love you. What? What did you just say? Or it's the teacher, you know, who wished they were the pastor and they had the teaching slot, but they don't. And uh, so they, you know, they start talking about the Greek and, you know, it's just like, Whoa, can we do this time? Uh, or it's my personal experiences, you know, the storyteller. Well, you know, just driving in this morning, I saw a dog and a cat, a cat on the side of the road. And I thought, that little stray cat, aren't we like that little stray cat, you know, just kind of lost. And, you know, that's, some of you probably feel like stray cats this morning. And let's just tell Jesus our problems. You know, it's just like, would you stop? God's words are more important than yours. So let's start there. Let's just give people God's word and let them hear the force and effect of that. And let's let our confidence be in God's word and not in our illustrations or our charismaticness or our humor or our relevance or any of those things. God's word outlasts them all. And I can tell you, after 50 years this fall, I've been a Christian 50 years, God's word means more to me than ever. That I'm, I'm memorizing more scripture now than ever. Why? Because I'm finally starting to see that God's words are, are more important than mine. God's thoughts are more important than mine. They're true. Mine aren't. <laughs> it's one difference. 
His are eternal, mine aren't. He's God, I'm not. And there's just a lot of reasons to, to think God's words rather than my own and to have confidence in what he says. Or how about this? Um, and now, let's hear the scripture. That's one way you can introduce a scripture reading. Or you could say, you know, we've been singing about how God's mercy is greater than our sins. Paul highlights that reality in this passage we're going to read from Romans 5. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you're, you know you're setting people up to, to benefit from what we're doing. That is leading. Um, yeah, it's really helpful to draw attention to, some, to what just happened. So if you're talking after a song, just pull a line from the song that you just sang. We just sang this line. I guarantee you 90% of the people didn't realize they just sang that line. And if they did, great. Then you're, you're drawing attention to it and saying, we just sang this line. This is what this means. Or this is a contrast to this. Um, so, we, so we sing, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, all creatures of our God and King. Uh, and worship him in humbleness. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Um, yeah, we just sang the line, you know, come worship him in humbleness. You know, it's really impossible to worship God in pride. Uh, God doesn't accept worship in pride because he's God and we're not. So it's the opposite of what we're coming to do, to think we're coming to God based on our achievements or our sincerity or our efforts. No, we come through Jesus Christ. And if we don't come through his mercy, we don't come, come at all. Isn't that good news? Because his mercy is everlasting to sinners like you and me. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Makes sense. Like you're just helping it make sense for people. And that's what we want to do. That's the opportunity we have every single Sunday. All right, so we're, we're leading them. Another way we can lead them is um, just by teaching on the role of music. I think we can assume sometimes that people know what we're doing when we sing. It's just like we started. Now, what exactly is going on here? I mean, I think a lot of people see the music. People can see music as the setup for the sermon. They can see it as the buffer zone in which they can come in at any time and still feel like they're a part of the meeting. You know, 10 minutes late, oh, we're just singing, it's okay. Um, they can see it as the time to pursue some mystical experience with God. The Bible doesn't say it's any of those things. It is a time to enable the word of God to dwell in us richly singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. We are doing it as one voice because of what Christ has done, and we are now experiencing through the Holy Spirit. And we're teaching each other, teaching and admonishing each other. That's what's going on. It's, it's, it can be life-transforming. And I love meeting people, because I lead Sovereign Grace Music, so I hear these kind of stories. Um, I love meeting people who say, you know what, your songs... Uh, help me become uh, reformed. They help, they show me what the doctrines of grace mean. And I think, yes. Not that I care about the doctrines of grace as much as I care about what the Bible says about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. That's what I care about. So that's what I'm hearing when they say, I, I being reformed. I, great, excellent. You know, do you love Jesus more? Do you treasure his word more? Are you living more life for his glory? Yes, then amen. That's, that's what we want. Uh, but songs do that. I know I've talked to people who've gotten saved while singing some songs. You know, all I have is Christ. I once was, uh, I once was lost. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At, what? In darkest night, you thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, Indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You, what is it, bore the wrath reserved for me. Now, all I know is grace. This is why songs never need to get old, because the truth doesn't get old. Songs, music, can get old. We were just talking about a song I wrote years ago. Someone, I don't know if they knew I wrote it yesterday or not, but the one said, yeah, that's so dated. I thought, oh, my gosh. 
I didn't even bring it up. Uh, music can get dated. The truth doesn't. And if we're not directing people to the truth, people will start to feel the, the oldness of the songs. But if we direct them to the truth, they won't. So that's the leading people. What are we doing here? Okay. Um, we can, we can so teach people on the meaning of music, the purpose of music. It is to teach and admonish one another, enable the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, allow the spirit to do his work in our hearts, transforming us into the image of Christ. That's what we're doing. Three, we can care for the flock through singing. Uh, yeah, okay, so everybody who comes into your church is suffering from one of three things. One of three battles, sin, suffering, self-sufficiency. Everybody. And some are battling all three. And usually we're battling all three to different degrees. Sin, either it's uh, condemnation, feeling guilt. We all walk around with this like low-grade guilt. You know, I'm not doing enough. I'm not as good a Christian as I thought I think I should be. Certainly not as much as God wants me to be, as others think I should be. So there's that guilt, condemnation, or maybe you've done something really, you think is really horrible, and you just struggle with God, believing God has forgiven you. Or the battle against sin that is, I've been fighting this sin for 10 years, still doing it. Oh, why, why, why? So that's the battle against sin. Battle against suffering, goodness gracious, it's just, it's just everywhere. Um, we suffer in all kinds of ways. Now, I think that some of the suffering that people say they're experiencing is, is their own idea of that they're suffering. But there is real suffering that people go through. Uh, death, sickness, relational discord, um, financial hardship, judgments, opposition, enemies, um, all kinds of things. Suffering. And then self-sufficiency is... Uh, I really don't think I need this. I mean, I'm here because, you know, I'm, I live in the South, and, you know, I should be in church on Sunday morning. So, you know, it's like, woo, totally oblivious to the fact that, uh, you know, you were a sinner condemned to hell. The, the, the right object of God's righteous wrath, and because of Jesus and what, he's, what he did, you are no longer under his wrath. You're a child, you're beloved, you're, you're treasured, you're cherished, you're his. And, and he, you have a life that's being superintended by his particular personal care and wisdom and sovereignty. And there's no detail of your life that, that is not being watched over by God himself, your heavenly father. Okay, yeah, yeah, wow. I wasn't seeing my life that way. Well, that's the reality. So when we lead people in singing, we're addressing all those. Uh, we're saying to, that's why singing about the gospel is so important. That's the best thing we can do. Um, we were talking about this the other day, how you know, when you pick your songs, which I think we, we try not to refer to that as a set, uh, unless you're talking about whether well, song, there's scripture, there's prayer, there's there's different elements to it. It's not like a rock concert where you got your set. You used to do that, a set of songs. No, it's it's a lot of things. You're praying, you're reading scripture, you maybe have a testimony there, you're just different things happening. Um, but you are you are helping them understand during that time what the what the gospel is, why we need the gospel. God's so great. We are condemned before him. God provided a way for us to be forgiven, and those who trust in him receive forgiveness in eternal life in him. And so the response should be, I want to live my life for you with gratefulness. That's, that's the gospel arc. And if you haven't read Christ Under Worship by Brian Chapel, that's a great book to read. Um, if you lead the music in your church, plan the liturgy, that's a great book to read. Uh, Christ Under Worship, Brian Chapel. So helping people understand, look, whatever your situation is, the gospel addresses it. You're struggling with condemnation for sin. Jesus really did pay for every sin. There's nothing that he left out. Having forgiven us all our sins, he didn't leave a few out, the worst ones, you know, set aside. No, he paid for all of them. The battle against sin, Jesus really did triumph over Satan principalities. He really overcame them through his blood, through his blood shed on the cross, Colossians 2. Um, 
We're adopted into God's family. We are no longer separated from him. We are children of God. We're secure in God's love. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Ever. Ever. That means ever. Like, no. Ever. Like, not in this life, not in the next. God's love is secure. I don't feel it as you're not living your life based on what you feel. You're based on what God has said and what he's done. Um, we're free from sin's power. We've triumphed over death through Christ, and we're glad servants of the King. Those are some of the things we can communicate in our songs. Um, we also give people hope that you can actually live a not... A, uh, we don't have to be succumbing all the time to the power of sin. Um, so I love songs like... Uh, uh, we just saying, all I have is Christ. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone. And this so all might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Like, do we really believe that? The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Like, are we going to walk out of here thinking, you know what? I, I'm not going to be able to follow the Lord today unless he gives me strength. Lord, I need your strength every day. I Talking to a guy a few years ago who was just saying, I don't feel like I love Jesus, love, you know, love God enough. I don't feel like I pray enough. I don't feel like, I, you know. I said, Jesus did that for you. He loved God enough. We'll never love like he did, but we get the benefits of what he did. And that makes us want to be more like him. We do want to love God more, but we can only do it because Jesus has loved God for us. It's, it's such good news. Uh, we care for people by providing comfort in the midst of our, their suffering. Comfort as well as hope. You know, we're not just saying, we, we talk about songs of lament and how, uh, you know, we, the church needs to lament more, know how to lament. I think we can have a weird understanding of that sometimes. I, I mean, there are just a few psalms that are just pure lament. Most of the psalms, if they have lament, have a clear statement of God's faithfulness in them. Clear statement of, you know, hope in God. One of my favorites is, uh, you know, Psalm 13, where the first four verses are just, uh, you know, where are you, God? What's happening? Why aren't you, why aren't you in my life? How long will you hide your face from me? Um, how long must I have sorrow in my heart? Last two verses. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So it has both. So, so we want to give people opportunity to express the, the reality that God knows what we're going through, but also give them hope that God knows what we're going through. And Jesus really did rise from the grave. He really is interceding for us. So there is comfort in the midst of our sufferings. There is no thing, nothing that you're going through right now that God is not going to use to redeem for your good and his glory. It is such a great hope. The gospel is such a great hope. All right. Um, I'm going to just finish up here. And if you guys have questions, we can do some of those. Uh, we can protect the flock through singing. All that is about is saying the world is being, uh, we are being fed lies by the world constantly. Constantly. And the more you are on social media, the more that increases. Or the more you watch media in general, the more that increases being fed lies, untruths, distortions. Our songs can help correct those, but they have to be true. And then they have to be relevant. They have, people have to know, oh, this matters. Oh, this makes a difference. We're not just singing popular songs. We're singing the word of God. And that, that protects them from the lies of the world, it protects them from the vices of the world. You know, the world's very, uh, well, it, there's a lot of temptations out there. And uh, so we sing songs about God's holiness. It's not just about how much God loves me. It, God does love me in, in an inestimable way. You know, the unsearchable riches of grace we've received in Christ Jesus, we're going to be enjoying for all eternity. But God also hates sin. And you cannot separate grace from godliness. They cannot be separated. So, so we sing about that. We sing about how God wants us to live holy lives. And then the... the uh, the world is, is attracting us with its pleasures. Just saying, hey, this will be, you'll enjoy this. Hey, this, this will satisfy you. This, you'll really enjoy this. What we're saying when we sing is nothing more satisfying than knowing Jesus Christ. Now, we've got to believe that ourselves. That's a whole other session. Not living 
in the reality of what we're singing about. So we can't stand up in front of people and tell them, hey, Jesus is satisfying, and, and not live like that. He's got to be satisfying. He is satisfying. So our songs want to communicate that as well. You truly are delightful. You truly do satisfy. And then the final um, session is just examples. The point is just being examples to the flock. That would include both you know, what we do on a Sunday morning when we're not leading and then what we do in our daily lives. That's, that speaks volumes to the people in our church. So if, if I'm not leading, I want to be among the most engaged people in the congregation. And oftentimes I'll look around, because I'm usually in front, you know, just enjoy the fact that we're doing this together. It's amazing. Just what, what a gift of grace that, you know, a bunch of losers like us get to sing the praises of the king. And he accepts them because of Jesus. It's, it's amazing. So, you know, if you're getting ready to preach, you're not like looking at your nose, just studying, you know, just, oh, what's going on? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're engaged because you have the opportunity to lift your voice to the Lord and lift your heart to him. So we want to be an example to the flock in that. And then we want to be an example to the flock when they're not seeing us in front of the whole church. That's not the God of the Bible. Uh, the God of the Bible is, no, whatever I say is going to happen is going to happen and you want to trust me in that and yes i'm a god of steadfast love and mercy and graciousness and kindness but it's not about me meeting all your perceived needs and desires um so that kind of thing yeah one more question is that helpful yeah raise the standard in terms of what kind of songs we we want to sing yeah anthony Start with uh, different kinds of songs. Sometimes we'll start with, you know, who can light the fire of a thousand burning suns? Yeah, just proclaim God's praise. Other times, um, uh, holy, 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 or praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Just different kinds of songs to start off with. We used to always use an Old Testament scripture and a New Testament scripture. Kind of, and try to use different parts of scriptures for that. And you know, each Sunday is an adventure for us when we plan. It's like we're, we we never start with a song. We always start with a call to worship. Say, what is the first thing that God wants to say to us this morning? We always base that on the sermon from the previous week. So whatever came from there, well, that's where we'll start, and then we'll see where that takes us. And so that keeps it fresh. It keeps it like, oh, 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 for that, you know. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what we do. Yeah.